Today is February 27th, 2021. This is episode 111 of Back to Normal. So let's get started. All right, today we're going to be starting with some, um, I guess I'm going to call it good news on the COVID vaccine front. Um, although I'll get to in a little bit why I'm a little confused and it's not, it's good news, not great news. Um, and that's the fact that Health Canada has now officially approved the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, no, so this is the third one approved by Health Canada after the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. Um, but weirdly, um, yeah, this vaccine seems to be a lot less effective than the other two, um, Pfizer and Moderna. Um, Compared to the 90 plus percent um, success rates of, of the vaccine, the first two vaccines we've seen, um, this one is something like 65% uh, effective after two doses, which are anywhere from, I think, compared to the other ones, which are like three to four weeks apart, this one um, has been tested to be administered anywhere between four and 12 weeks apart, uh, the two doses. Um, but the the lack of really good, um, what they, I guess they call success rate or like, um, rate of protection um, of this vaccine is really low com compared to the other two we've had approved. But I guess um, based on what I've read, um, what it comes down to this number, this specific number is really weird and nebulous anyways, like this whole success or like protection rate um, is not probably not the best metric or not even a good metric of um, how effective the vaccine is. Um, because this vaccine has also protected against um, hospitalizations and deaths with a 100% success rate. So I guess what it means is the actual rate of protecting against the getting the disease or the virus itself, um, which is a slightly, which is an interesting definition because from a public perspective, it's very different to say that this, like <laughs> to me, if the vaccine prevents you from getting sick or dying, really sick or dying, um, that's effective. Like that's what it's supposed to do. So to say that this vaccine is like 65% effective, but also nobody has gone to the hospital or died, like that's good enough for me. Um, so I don't know, cause this is going to get to this weird thing, which I've been thinking about for a while, which I don't know if I actually put into words anywhere or talked with anyone about it. But the idea that um, people who got a certain vaccine are going to be viewed as less protected than others, when really what it comes down to is um, if you get a vaccine, as long as it works, you are protected, like regardless of whether it's quote unquote effective or not on you, you are protected um, and you're going to get a less severe um, response than you would have otherwise. Like that's that's how the theory goes. But I definitely see people um, like me, for, for instance, myself, I'm like, I don't well, maybe I don't want to get the AstraZeneca vaccine. I want to get the um, the Moderna vaccine or I want to get the Pfizer vaccine. I don't want to get one of these lesser vaccines, especially if you know that like, for example, this one has a much lower success rate. And you've also heard, oh, this vaccine, like I got this vaccine, like anecdotally, and I'm I'm like never got sick. And like I've even been in, around sick people. And I never I didn't get sick. Um, I definitely see kind of creating this multi-tier system and potentially that not being great ethically or, um, you know, for a bunch of reasons, like in the same way that um, I'm just trying to think about because I have um, allergies, I have seasonal allergies. And there's a bunch of different um, antihistamines you can take for allergies. And there's multiple generations of antihistamine that have worked in various ways. And like the first generation of antihistamines are more powerful, but they um, cause drowsiness usually. And whereas the second generation of antihistamines 
don't have that issue. So they protect you, um, but they don't cause drowsiness. But then when I take these second generation antihistamines for my allergies, they don't really work as well as the first generation ones. And it, like if I take Benadryl, for example, which is the one I, the, the antihistamine I usually take for my allergies, um, if I take it, I often don't really get drowsy. Like I've never really noticed like, oh, I'm sleepier than usual, but it's like, it's a real thing. Um, so yeah, it, that's kind of what it feels like to me is that we might end up with a situation where somebody like, I don't, I'm not saying like gets teased, but like gets treated differently either by security or by health officials or whatever. Um, like you show up to the hospital cause you're sick and they're going to ask you like, oh, which vaccine, which, which one did you get? And we'll treat you differently or like whether medically or socially treat you differently for that reason. Um, yeah, it's this whole weird thing, but like, I would rather have a bunch of vaccines that mostly work rather than one or two that don't like, that can't be manufactured fast enough to keep up with supply or to keep up with demand. Um, that I would rather have a bunch that everybody's getting some form of protection. And then like certain other people, like it's right now it's completely fine because like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are going to the oldest people that need it the most. Um, there's also this news that came out recently, which I've been thinking about for a really long time, which is um, you set your parameters for something based on what you already know about it. And in the case of vaccines, um, they were tested under a two dose regimen and they were tested with the doses X number of weeks apart. And um, they were stored in ultra cold temperatures and all of this stuff was done kind of with a base assumption of trying to be as safe as possible in the testing. Um, but we're finding out because of course that um, these vaccines are more stable at higher temperatures for longer than we thought or than, than the assumption that was made initially during trials. Um, we're finding that um, the first dose of a two dose vaccine still confers pretty good immunity. And in fact, the, the, like the first dose of the Pfizer, Pfizer Moderna vaccines is seemingly proving more effective than both doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So there's this whole thing about um, we've been giving people two doses, and that means you can give only half as many people doses overall, um, like a full dose, because like the the first people to get it are getting multiple doses. Um, I've been thinking for a long time that there's no way that these vaccines are just completely ineffective at at higher temperatures because they they had no way to really test that. They were just going with the safest possible option, which is we're working in a like an antiviral lab. We're working in this vaccine lab. We have access to these ultra cold freezers. We're just going to put it in there. We know that it's stable there. We don't know. We're not saying it's unstable elsewhere. We just don't know how stable it is long term outside of this ultra cold storage. That's what they've been doing. Similarly, we don't know how what the immune response is going to be after one dose because we didn't give one dose. We gave two doses. So. That's been the regimen. That's what's been approved by Health Canada. That's what's been approved by government bodies all around the world. And but it is very interesting that it's now coming around. We're getting that phase of implementation when people are testing. Oh, like we now need to give only one dose instead of two because we're trying to vaccinate two, like twice as many people. If we can only give one dose, we'd much rather do that. And so I'm I'm curious to see how this all happens. But um, right now, I think we're in pretty good shape around the world, like various countries are starting to really, really ramp up vaccinations. Canada is just starting. I think this week and next week, we're really going to start seeing more people get vaccinated. We're getting something like half a million to a million vaccines a week now in Canada. 
And that doesn't seem like very many. Um, but also like there can only be so many nurses right now. And so honestly, if you do the math, we have like almost 40 million people, let's say 40 million in Canada. And let's say half want to get a vaccine that puts us at like 20 million vac uh, vaccinating people. That puts us at 40 million vaccinating doses, half a million people per week getting one dose. Um, if we do the thing of delaying the second dose, that means we need something like, um, what is it, 40 weeks at the current rate to get through, which is like 10 months. And we're expecting more vaccines. We're expecting supply to ramp up. There's a whole thing of like, yeah, this is a really optimistic plan, but also like we're doing okay right now. I don't know. There's this whole, like, there's also, I was reading an article. I actually have other things I want to talk about in this episode, but I just keep thinking of things that I was talking about this, or thinking about this week. An article saying that we might actually avoid a third wave of COVID in the spring in Canada because we're starting to vaccinate people, because people are taking it seriously again, because um, the worst of winter is probably over right now. And so we might actually be able to, you know, all start seeing each other outside again, not have this impetus to, to want to stay inside and see each other. Um, there's no major, I mean, Easter's a major holiday, but there's no major holiday like Christmas for a while, um, where people are going to want to gather in homes like in Easter, at least you can gather outside. Um, it really does seem like the worst of it's behind us, but honestly, like anything could happen at any moment and society and sociology and psychology is really weird. So, um, I'm going to leave the vaccine talk for that for now. Um, I do have a little bit that I want to follow up with. Um, I recognize weirdly, so weird. I've done 110 episodes of these. And I just realized when I sat down to record this episode that last week's episode has been sitting in my drafts for an entire week, like literally a full seven days. Um, so I published it just now, but um, there's going to be just two episodes back to back seemingly after missing a week. But um, yeah, very, very weird. Um, just forgot to hit publish. So you should definitely have a person, if you're making a podcast, you should definitely have a person who like checks in on you every once in a while. It's like knock on the door, make sure you're still alive. Um, if you get to forget to publish an episode. Um, so there you go. Um, but that last episode, episode 110, um, I talked a lot about the work I was doing, um, figuring out SharePoint, figuring out the power platform, um, the new power platform for Microsoft 365 and like doing a bunch of experimenting with that and things weren't working and things were very weird. Um, yeah, so we're now done at NSERC. We're done with our competition. Um, we're now in in this mad rush between now and the end of March and then the beginning of April of paying out all of our grants for this fiscal year, which ends at the end of March, and then starting these new grants, which we just which were just competed for, sending those out in April. And so I am trying as much as I can to avoid um, thinking about all that stuff um, right now because I'm really, really pushing hard to try and get um, this new voting solution that I've been talking about for the last few weeks out um, in kind of prototype form so that people can start looking at it and figuring out what shortcomings are, what its strengths are. Um, and I really wanted to talk a little bit today about SharePoint. And again, it's really just going to be a little bit because I'm really just scratching the surface. But I just wanted to share my experiences so far with um, learning about the differences between what I'm going to call classic SharePoint and modern SharePoint. Classic being the SharePoint that that has existed and that had like honestly hundreds, thousands of really, really powerful features, things like workflows you can do. Um, it's a really powerful system, the old SharePoint. And the modern SharePoint has lots of powerful features as well and, and some new and better features. Um, but also there's just a bunch of stuff still missing from modern SharePoint that existed in Classic that you can't do anymore um, with 
SharePoint online. So rather than having the, the typical setup before, um, like eight, 10 years ago, when we, when we first started using SharePoint at NSERC, um, was SharePoint on-premises. So you'd have a server set up running, the, running your SharePoint server and all your sites would be run from, would be run locally where you are. Um, what's now most common, I would say, yeah, if you're starting right now, is using SharePoint online. So using the cloud um, and hosting your SharePoint sites on Microsoft servers. Um, and honestly, so those new SharePoint online are much more likely to use um, modern SharePoint. I think even if you use classic SharePoint um, with the new, uh, with, with SharePoint online, I think you're missing out on some features like workflows I know aren't available unless you're on um, a really old version of SharePoint. And honestly, we have a year, like literally almost 11 months before our next competition. So there's a bunch of things that are going to happen with SharePoint over the next year. Um, like Microsoft has this conference and there's actually, I'm now, I'm like getting into the Microsoft world now. Um, in the fall, Microsoft had its, um, developer conference called Microsoft Ignite. And there's actually like, a, I don't know if it's a mini one or if there's just like multiple throughout space throughout the year, but there's a Microsoft Ignite coming up at the beginning of March, which I'm going to be attending in some form. And, um, I'm really excited to see what's coming next in SharePoint, because one of the cool things that you can do um with sharepoint that i'm really just scratching the surface of right now is there's lots of there's multiple like seemingly a half dozen different ways of interfacing like an application um oh my god application programming interface um to be able or an api to be able to communicate with sharepoint classic sharepoint and modern sharepoint sites and it's really fascinating seeing all the different things you can do with this platform with sharepoint and I'm, I, but I am, however, finding it very odd that there's some things you can do only with these interfaces. You were, if you open SharePoint itself, if you open modern SharePoint, brand new, um, there's some things, there's some features that are not available to you in the actual interface. They're completely hidden unless you go into this application platform interface, which means you have to go to a second thing, which means you have to learn usually some kind of programming language. Um, some kind of, you have to learn something new. And I find that very weird and unapproachable. Um, I don't really have, I'm not saying I have this like solid answer to it, but it does seem to me like, um, any feature you implement in your platform should be accessible through that platform. You shouldn't need to go somewhere else. Like I'm all for the ability, the ability to go somewhere else, but needing to go somewhere else is kind of weird. And I, so one of the things that I want to do um, is I'm using, I'm trying to use SharePoint lists to be able to collect votes from people because one of the cool things you can do with a SharePoint list is basically set up a bunch of different, uh, like list columns, basically like if you use Excel parlance, um, just columns. And, um, when you create a SharePoint list, it will set up a form for you that lets you enter information into that list. And what I want to do is have a value that I can change, um, in in that form so inbuilt into the form is something that the user who enters in information in the form won't have a choice in what they enter there but that they will know that that's that piece of information is going to be entered into the form when they submit it and i want to be able to change that piece of information and what we had been using for this year's competition was a product called microsoft forms which doesn't have that ability you, you so during competition this year we had i had to send program officers to Microsoft Forms online, this online portal, 
and actually physically copy from their Excel spreadsheet and paste into um, forms to be able to change this parameter that we're, that we're submitting. Um, and what you can do with SharePoint is you can programmatically set up um, some kind of function so that um, somewhere else on the internet, you can run a, um, basically you can run a script that will change things about the SharePoint list behind the scenes, including this field that I'm talking about wanting to change. And so I'm really interested and excited in the potential that this has, but it's, it's frustrating me because it's such a high barrier to entry to be able to even get over the hump to learn these platforms, to learn these interfaces, to be able to do this scripting. And it would be really, really nice if there was some clear way to be able to do this kind of interfacing. And I'm working on right now, so what I've been working on for the last couple of days um, at work is using um, basically this, this terminal, this PowerShell, which is basically the modern command prompt for, um, for Windows, for interfacing with Windows. Um, PowerShell is basically a, a, a command shell um, is something that hopefully a lot of programmers, especially early programmers, will be familiar with. Um, basically just giving you command line um, ability to enter prompts and things. Um, yeah, but basically there's this whole, like, like I said, I'm learning all about this whole world, brand new to me. Um, so there's PowerShell, which is the main PowerShell, but there's also this special SharePoint PowerShell, which lets you interface with SharePoint. And I'm finding it very, very odd that there's so many different ways to interface with these things. And it's very confusing for someone coming in straight off the bat to learn not only is there this, not only is there the command prompt, but there's PowerShell, there's this other SharePoint PowerShell, there's multiple different PowerShells. It's all very weird and very nebulous. And there's all kinds of tutorials online, but they all refer to different things. Like because there's so many platforms, there's all these different tutorials that each refer to their own specific one. And it's very difficult to keep it all straight. And you end up, as I did this week multiple times, with like 50 tabs open in your browser and you're trying to figure out like, oh, which was the good one that I was just looking at, which was a good source. And then going back to, it's like, it's very hard to keep track of everything. It would be way simpler if there was like one interface, one language um, that, that worked on all of these things. And it's, it's very weird to me to need this separate shell for SharePoint. Um, I was trying the, the exact same commands in the regular PowerShell and they just don't work. Um, so obviously I have a lot more to learn. I'm just, like I said, I'm just scratching the surface with this, but it's like, it's very overwhelming at the very beginning. And if I wasn't as comfortable with programming and as comfortable with screwing things up, um, just to see what works and what doesn't, um, this would be a lot harder for me. And so I could definitely see a new programmer just being overwhelmed and not even wanting to get into this, but I'm really, really excited to be able to go in and change form parameters, um, in my form without, without needing to send the staff that are actually going to be doing this to a separate place, to a second thing to have to do it. Um, I'd really love, I love the idea of being able to do it myself. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to keep working on this. It, like I said, it's only at the end of February. So I have, we have months to do this. That's why I want to start working on it now, but I'm really looking forward to experimenting with this and to continue to talk about it here. So thanks very much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Bye.